So we'll be looking at Psalm 73 today. And um, before we get started, I want to talk about, uh, Luke started it already, about who was this guy named Asaph. Asaph was a, he was a contemporary of David, one of his friends, and he was one of the Levites who was in charge of worship. There was a whole group of them, but, um, and he was quite a man. First um, Chronicles chapter 15, verses 16 through 22, tells us uh, about him and the others that were involved in leading the worship. And it tells us that David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. And it's interesting that uh, Asaph was one of the cymbal players, bronze cymbals. (laughs) And that was one of his jobs. Now it also goes on to tell us... um, here and also in chapter 25 of 1 Chronicles, that these guys were more than just singers. It says, David together with the commanders of the army. Get that. The the army commanders are going to help make sure that worship is carried out correctly. So the army commanders, along with David, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. And so it repeats that about three times in the next several verses that these musicians prophesied to musical accompaniment. They were more than just singers, um, which was, you know, being a singer was quite a deal in and of itself. But they were also musicians. They were songwriters. They were people who... Um, prophesied under the direction of the king. And so Asaph was one of those guys. So because he was um, involved very strongly in the music, and a couple of the psalms have been um, attributed to him that are in the, in the um, about 12 of them actually, in the book of Psalms. And he uh, played the, the bronze symbols as he was prophesying. I wonder if that means we need to interpret all of his stuff symbolically. (laughs) Oh, maybe not. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, Asaph is one of the ones associated with his psalm, and it's it's a public testimony, and it's a confession. And he was doing kind of what Luke did this morning. He really is. And this is what he says. He starts off with a summary. This is where he ended up. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's the conclusion. And he states the conclusion, and now he's going to tell us how he got to that place. But notice, he didn't say God's just good to Israel. He limits that to a smaller group. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so then he starts giving his confession. But as for me, he says, my foot had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So 
what happens is that Asaph here has a personal crisis of faith. He begins looking around at the people around him, especially people who are arrogant and wicked, and he's going to go into great detail about all the benefits, all the blessings these people have. But they are arrogant, they're wicked, they are, they are bullies. They're violent men and people who have no regard for others than themselves, and they're power-hungry, and they're greedy, and very selfish. And they are the leaders. And they have large groups of people who follow them. And so Asaph, looking at that, he says, I began to envy them, uh, their wealth, their influence, um, the ease, seemingly easy life that they have, prosperity, things go well for them all the time, it seems like. And so he's looking at them, and he's, he's tempted. As a man of God, as a leader of worship in the temple itself, this guy looks around and he says, my foot almost slipped because I began to envy those people, the lifestyle that they had, and all of that. And so it's, it's good for us to be aware of those things. Uh, it's good for us to be aware of the f- struggles that we have inside our own heart and not make, just make assumptions. So then he gives the reasons for his crisis is in verses 3 through 12. Um, Arrogant, wicked people, they're prosperous. No struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. Don't have the burdens common people have. Not plagued by human ills. Um, They wear pride as a necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. They have callous, hard hearts. They're people who engage in iniquity. And their evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, arrogance, they threaten oppression, they lay claim to heaven with their mouths and take possession of the earth. And here's the response. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? So they took these people and instead of seeing the lifestyle and seeing the arrogance and the violence and all that, they began making them their heroes. Kind of like what we do today, right? Uh, The violence uh, and the sports are getting more and more violent. You know, they have those uh, martial arts things in the cages and they just about kill each other. And and, um, these are arrogant, proud people and no regard for God or anybody else. And they're our heroes. Uh, People in the In the entertainment industry, um, many, many of those people, um, prosperous, the beautiful people, um, influential people, no regard for God at all. And we make, these are our idols. These are the people that we lift up to our children as role models, just by letting them watch and participate, those kind of things. So... Asaph is there, and he says, I looked around, and I began to be envious of those guys, and my foot almost slipped. And he says, verse 13, now here's his personal dilemma. He sees that, he begins to envy, and this is what he's saying to himself. Surely in vain, for nothing, have I kept my heart pure 
I have in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I've been punished every morning. And he says, that doesn't make sense to me. Here they are just living a sinful lifestyle and flaunting it in front of other people and everything seems to go right for them. Here I am trying to do my best what's right and it seems like I'm being punished for it and I'm missing out on a lot that this world has. That's what he's thinking. And then he begins to come to his senses. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Now this is the worship leader. This is the guy uh, for the whole nation that leads worship and writes the music and prophesies before the Lord. And he's struggling with this. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God then I understood their final destiny. So what's happening is like Job before him, he was beginning to question the justice or the fairness of God. Um, We look around and we see people like this every day, don't we? People that are living those kind of lifestyles and things seem to be going perfect for them. And we see people who are really doing their best to walk with the Lord and do things right and all the obstacles and the things that they face. And we think, well, what's that all about, you know? It raises questions of justice and judgment. And Job had raised those same kind of questions. And it was not just Asaph who's talking about this. In Proverbs 24, verses 19 through 20, says, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, which is exactly what Asaph was doing. For the evil man has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. They better enjoy their life here while they have, while they can, because that's the only enjoyment they're ever going to get. Because they live their lives apart, separated from God. Psalm 24, I'm sorry, Psalm 37, the whole psalm is about this. It's one of the wisdom psalms, and it starts off in the exact same way. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord. This is David writing this psalm. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And he goes on and talks about it, um, trusting God and waiting upon Him. And he says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Now it's a a lengthy psalm, 40 verses, and it continues on in the exact same way. So here David, a friend of Asaph, contemporary of him, and they are both coming to the same conclusion. 
I don't know if they got together and talked about it or if they prayed together about these issues. But the fact is they both came to the same conclusion about not worrying and leaving these things in the hands of God and being consistent in our daily walk with the Lord. So this is where Asaph found himself. Not understanding, but when he goes into the presence of the Lord, then God begins to help him have a different perspective on things. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground and cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. All the violent, the bullies, the power brokers, the the people who are arrogant and wicked and control things and all of that. God says they're, they're like a bad dream. Once you wake up, it's finished. It's over, gone. Now he begins to, uh, that was the turning point in his life when he went into the presence of the Lord. And now the critical issues he's going to take up for himself in verses 21 through 26. And this is where his real testimony comes in. And so the bottom line, the reason he could say that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, those who are um, serving God, as David often says, with singleness of mind, uh, committed to doing that. He says in verse 21, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And he's making a confession here that when his heart was grieved, when he saw those things, he began, it began to affect him deep within himself. His heart was grieved and it led to a bitter spirit. And he said, when I was like that, I was like a cow out in the field. You know, an ignorant brute beast with no understanding that there is a God in heaven and there is a direct relationship between him and us because of his mercy and grace. He had forgotten God. And when we look at our situations and circumstances, when we look at, uh, try to compare ourselves with other people, then we discover oftentimes we become grieved and we become embittered in spirit because we have the wrong perspective. Paul writes to the church And Paul says when people compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And he's writing to Christian people. And Asaph was a man of God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, again, this letter written to Christian people, to the church, starting with verse 12, The writer says, See to it, brothers, that none of you, Christian people, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Asaph said, My foot had almost slipped, and I started to turn away. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What the writer of Hebrews is saying 
is all of this prosperity that the wicked arrogant have, all the power and the influence that they have, he says that's a deception. We become disillusioned when we see that. But you can only become disillusioned if you were illusioned to start with. You believed the lie. And Asaph was beginning to believe the lie. And because he put his faith and his trust in what he saw in the illusions that were facing him, he became disillusioned with God. Turned his back on the truth. He was looking at the proud and the arrogant, the popular people, you know. And he said, I almost slipped. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about, see to it that no one, again, writing to the church, no one misses the grace of God and a root of bitterness comes up to trouble us. And so that's a warning that we as Christians today need to take to heart and remind ourselves. Now the good news is, as Asaph was saying, my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant before you like a brute beast. Yet, in verse 23, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. The good news was God hadn't turned his back on Asaph, and God met him. He hadn't departed from him. He hadn't left him alone, and he brought him to this place where he could get a fresh revelation from God, and he saw things in their proper perspective, and it gave him peace, peace of heart and mind, and it restored him to his confidence in his walk with the Lord. That happens to many of us from time to time, doesn't it? Paul says in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so God's grace covered Asaph here in his struggles, in his wrestling with his doubts. God was not threatened by Asaph's doubts. And he didn't just write Asaph off because he had legitimate questions. His grace met him and covered him and drew him back. Went looking for him. So God was watching over this man, leader of the worship. says, God will, he's with me, he holds me by my right hand, guides me, gives counsel, afterwards you will take me into glory. That's a very powerful word here, where God is going to take him into glory. Um, this is when it talks about Enoch, was a man who walked with God, but he was not because God took him. It's the same word that Asaph is using here. When Elijah was caught up, in the whirlwind and taken up into heaven, it says that God took him. Same word that Asaph is using right here. When Ezekiel talks about when he was in the Spirit and the Lord picked him up, the Spirit of the Lord picked him up and carried him away, that's what this is, same word. When it says that God took Adam from the ground, same word. When it says that God took Eve from Adam's rib, it's the same word. God took these people, and every one of these was a blessing and a revelation and an impartation of the nature and character of God. 
And so Asaph says, when I think about what these wicked, powerful people around us are doing, and I see what their end will be, and I have the hope and the promise and the assurance that God will take me to himself. So I don't have questions anymore. And things get put in their proper perspective, begin to understand what God has for those who love him. And so the response is, verses 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So Asaph has come to a, a deeper, fuller understanding through his quest, through his questioning, through his doubts, through his fears. And God has taken him through those things and given him a greater understanding of who God is. And when he understands who God is, then all of his life, uh, he begins to understand the proper perspective. And he, he has the promise of God, the hope, um, the presence of the Lord with him. And he says, nothing here on earth, nothing that these people who are so successful and powerful, they have nothing compared to this. Nothing. Paul writes about it, the same thing in, to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's a tremendous chapter 3 and 4, tremendous chapters and scriptures. And if you go through the whole book of 2 Corinthians, you find that um, this is where Paul lists the struggles and difficulties that he faces more than any, anywhere else. He, there's two or three lists here in this book. And he talks about all the things that he's been through, all the things that he's suffered, all the hardships that he's faced, the beatings, the shipwreck, um, the imprisonment, all the misunderstanding, persecution, problems within the church and misunderstandings and people attacking him, betrayals by close friends, all the whole thing. He, he lists all of that. And this is his conclusion. He talks about the presence of the Lord and the promises of, the, of God and the living presence of Christ himself that's working in and through Paul. And so his conclusion is, in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, which is what Asaph was doing, but what is unseen, which is what God brought him to the place to do. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So he had a, a perspective adjustment, an attitude adjustment. And Paul says, all the stuff that we are suffering through now, uh, maybe some of the sufferings is this young man that Derek was sharing with today. He says, seen in the economy of heaven is nothing. And if you ask Paul, and he tells you, at, at the end of his life, he's going to be executed. 
as a criminal of the state because he preached the gospel. And just before they're going to execute him, if you'd asked him, is it worth it? Paul would have said, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's worth it. This is nothing. This is nothing. Look what I have to look forward with. Uh, look what I've got to look forward to. You know, I was thinking about, um, about life. We've got all these uh, newborn babies, and we've got some more on the way. Got more on the way. And uh, I had a, a couple of weeks ago a guy uh, from Presbyterian Church, medical doctor, down in Beeville. Just met the man. We were talking. He was asking about our church and telling me about his. And he said, what do you all do in your church to have so many children? <laughs> so, I don't know. It's a gift from God, but it's a blessing. And we'll take all of those that we can get. And he was lamenting because their church was filled with nothing but old people. And he knew that unless things changed after this generation, that church was finished. The numbers are small and they're old. So it's a blessing that we have here. But there are a series of births that we go through in our life. We're born physically. We all understand that. Otherwise, none of us would be here. But Jesus talks to Nicodemus about a spiritual birth. Um, so we used to say, if you're born once, then you die twice. If you're born twice, then you only die once. And that's true. Those who have been born again, born of the water and of the Spirit, have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it's like a fresh start. It's like starting all over again in our life and our walk with God, fresh and clean and pure. And it's interesting, I think, I think death is another form of birth. Now, births always take place at a moment of crisis, don't they? And normally it's painful for somebody. I think death is like that. It's a crisis. It's painful. But the result... Once you've come through the other side for a Christian, is beyond anything that we can dream or hope or imagine. If you could talk to a baby in the womb, that's all they've ever known, and you're going to tell them they're going to through this, this big crisis here and it's going to be painful and they're going to feel just squashed and stretched and all that, and they're going to have a whole new life outside, they wouldn't believe you. All they've known is the inside of that womb. Everything's taken care of. Don't have to do anything. The new life that they come through, man, what a difference. I think death is that way for the Christian. That's what Asaph is talking about. God is always with me. He holds me by my right hand. He guides me with his counsel. Afterwards, he takes me to himself in glory. And so... Asaph's response, Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh may fail, but God's greater than that. You, God, is my portion forever. He's my inheritance. So, when seen in that perspective, everything this earth offers 
seems pretty dingy, pretty dull in comparison. Nothing offered by this life can give you life. Nothing. Only God can do that. The good news is that he's chosen to do that through his son. And he invites us, like Asaph, to learn, like Paul, that when we have Christ in our hearts, when God is with us, that makes everything different because we are different. Let's pray. What an awesome thing to be loved by God for no reason. Not because of who we are, not for what we've done, not because of what we know, not because of what we can accomplish, but you've just chosen to love us and to give your life for us. You've chosen to include us in everything that you're doing. And you've invited us to be partners with you, partakers, not only of the activities, but partakers of your divine nature, which you impart to us through your Son, which you work within us through our personalities and through our relationships. You do that through the the transforming power of the Holy Spirit within us. So Lord, we pray that as we come before you, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open to hear from you, that our spirits would respond to your invitation like Asaph's did, with all of his questions, with all of his fears, with all the doubts and the struggles that he was facing trying to overcome the sin that was drawing him away from you, becoming bitter in spirit, disillusioned. And yet he went to the right place. He went to you, laid his heart before you, and you ministered to his needs. Father, this morning, as we wait before you, we pray that you would look deep within our hearts. Look beyond the smile on the face and look at the heart. And that you would minister to our deepest needs as we lay them out before you in the presence of your Son and your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.